This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 and you will get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused delicious and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies and I will be discussing this first game by my own before we patch in a little bit with Patrick Lyons a little bit later on to break down some of the news and notes of the day. But as I am coming to you live, or if you're listening to this a little bit later on the podcast, immediately following the Colorado Rockies one to nothing loss to the Texas Rangers in painstaking fashion numerous opportunities to win the game they could not come through wasting a really fantastic performance from starting pitcher Edmond Marquez who did not give up a hit until the sixth inning where he gave up a pair of doubles and that would be essentially the game a lot to break down here despite the fact that it was one to nothing a really really promising game from your Colorado Rockies pitching Maybe not quite so promising from your Colorado Rockies hitting uh, some promising signs there, though, still, as I would say, the defense was on point. The pitching was on point. The offensive strategy was on point. The offensive execution maybe left a little bit to be desired. What with the fact that they only managed a couple of hits, the vast majority of them by David Dahl, and they could not manage to push a run across against Lance Lynn and then the Texas Rangers bullpen. So let's break down a little bit. And anytime I see you asking, and I don't know if you're asking for irony, I don't know if you're asking for seriousness, but one more time, that score for you was, of course, indeed, one to nothing. Uh, So the Colorado Rockies had a fantastic pitching performance out of Herman Marquez. And I've got to start there because it is our draft king of the night. We've got to throw that out for you. It was the best performance of the night. He was the man. He took the loss. Sure, do with that what what, what you will. But Armand Marquez gave you the kind of performance that if he gives you nine times out of ten, the Colorado Rockies are going to win themselves some baseball games. He was fantastic. He was almost perfect through the first five innings, giving up just one walk and one at bat where he just couldn't quite get it done. He had the fastball working. He was dialing it up to 98 miles an hour. He had that breaking ball really working. He managed to hit the over on our uh, DNVR bets program of the 5.5 strikeouts. He got his six, so he, he managed that bet. But overall, did he get the win? No. Did the Rockies' offense back him up at all? No, not even a little bit. And so, you know, this is probably not the Colorado Rockies that people are expecting in general. You you think they're going to come out and rake, and you wonder about the pitching. Tonight, we saw some phenomenal pitching out of not just 
Armand Marquez, but the bullpen as well. Both Carlos Estevez and Iro Diaz did what they needed to do in order to get the job done. So what's going on on the other side of the ball? I obviously have several thoughts on that. And by the way, many of these thoughts are, of course, fueled by our friends at Breckenridge Brew. You can see I'm down at the bar. Very much enjoyed our ability to talk to everybody here tonight at the DNVR bar, having the watch party. People coming down, extraordinarily psyched to watch the Rockies play baseball and then lose one, not, nothing. Look, it happens. We know what goes on. And, and Kirby, I saw it too. The umpire behind home plate did indeed leave something to be desired. There were some rough calls on both sides of the plate. McMahon got rung up early on one. Honestly, I thought it was a strike, but it hadn't been called one all night. Marquez wasn't getting it. It's rough. That being said, the umpire behind the plate was not the difference in the game tonight. And you guys know, you know I would come out and tell you that, hey, the Rockies got screwed by umpire so-and-so. That's not what happened. A lot of this was a matter of circumstance. Some of it was just those little individual moments, right? Lance Lynn was not the best version of himself that he can be, but every 1-1-2-2-3-2 pitch that he needed to get that needed to go exactly where it needed to go, he got it. Uh, He threw a lot of 3-2-2-2 pitches that were extraordinarily well executed. One that's just popping into my mind off the top of my head. I can't remember the inning, maybe seven. We got Trevor Story on a fastball away that just buckled him. And there's, there, look, there's nothing you can do about that. You've got to tip your cap to the other guy. That being said, they missed their opportunities on offense on several, on several occasions throughout the night. I thought in the sixth inning, like I'm sure many of you did, that the ball that Trevor Story hit was gone. If you'd seen my reaction here in the DNVR bar, you would know. I really thought he hit that thing out. And I think most of you probably thought at least it was a gap shot. And and it kind of died in center field. And it's funny because whenever there's talk about the thin air of Colorado, it seems like there isn't an, an opposite of that. And in that particular case, there was, I felt, an opposite of that. Trev went down. He got a fastball low. He hit it where he meant to hit it. He hit it out to center field. Died in the thick, humidified air, if I may. Look, they've been throwing it at us for years. I can say the humidified air in Texas. And it was true. Um, That being said, offensively, the Colorado Rockies did not execute tonight the way you would have liked to have seen. Furthermore, that being said, on the other 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 hand how many hands do we have if we're if we're goro in mortal combat and we've got three or four hands here on the other other hand i incredibly appreciated their approach and i really hope that tonight's loss is not taken by the colorado rockies hitters as a sign that they need to change their approach at the plate because they saw so many pitches And eventually, you're going to see some mistakes. Now, they saw a couple. 
that they didn't hit. And that was frustrating, especially against the bullpen late in the game. You guys know I've built him up all offseason. I still believe in the kid. Sam Hilliard saw a couple of 91-mile-an-hour fastballs right in the plate. He could have hit. Romstein Savage is absolutely correct. McMahon and Hilliard, tough night at the plate. McMahon with the three Ks. Now, McMahon was pitched incredibly well by both Lynn and the bullpen. That being said, there were some pitches they could have handled, and they didn't. And that's frustrating because the whole strategy for the rest of the game is built on taking advantage of that. And it's still the right play. It's the right way to approach the offense, not just on the road, but at home. If you go back a couple of days and listen to the podcast where Patrick Lyons and I talked about uh, with Nick Groke of The Athletic, how the Rockies need to be more patient. They need to be more patient on the road. They need to be more patient at home. And tonight, they did that. They accomplished that goal. They had Lance Lynn over 100 pitches in the sixth inning. And quite frankly, I am surprised that they sent Lance Lynn out for the sixth inning. I think more often than not in this early season, you're not going to see that. If, if you all watched the Mets and Braves the day before, Jacob deGrom was out after five innings and 72 pitches thrown. Now, the Rangers went the other way, and they decided they were going to ride or die with Lance Lynn because a lot like the Rockies, they, they can't afford to mess around too much, right? They're not the favorites in their division. They expect to have to fight for it, and that's what they did tonight. They fought for it, and they won, and fair enough. You, you tip your cap. I don't think the Rockies played a bad game of baseball. Obviously, Armand Marquez did not play a bad game of baseball. Quite clearly, David Dahl did not play a bad game of baseball. And again, I will point to the number of pitches. Every guy was getting themselves into three-two counts. Rymel Tapia taking walks. Trevor Story taking walks. And I can only hope that their takeaway from this game isn't we have to be more aggressive. It's not. Don't. Don't. Lynn, Lynn did his thing. You're not going to run up against a pitcher who makes that many 3-2 perfect pitches. You're not. It was an aberration tonight. And, and I apologize to anyone who bet based on, um, unless you took the over on the Herman Marquez strikeouts and nothing else. Sorry if you took our DraftKings bets on the Rockies winning this one or hitting some home runs. Or, or winning the game, it, I get it. I was expecting more out of the offense as well. That being said, I feel like that's the 12th time. Take a, take a drink of your Breck Brew. Head on down to the farmhouse, by the way. Use your promo code DNVR. You'll get five bucks off both the beer and the food at the farmhouse. For every time that I say, that being said, you get to take an extra drink of your Breck brew. Uh, I've got the mango mosaic tonight. I'm down at the bar. Uh, the Mile High City Copper Lager, also a fan favorite for sure. But all of that being said, this really was the right approach. 
You have to hold the faith. And I know it's tough out there. I know. <laughs> Romstein Savage says, that being said, we love you, Drew. Love you right back. Love all you guys here in the comments. Patrick, I see you saying that was just sad about the best pitching we could have asked for from Marquez and the bats were left at the hotel. I'll tell you what, Lance Lynn pitched a good game. The, the relievers for the Rangers, not great. Not great. Rockies could have done more there. And I'll give you one for those of you thirsty for the what the hell man analysis for the why didn't they dot 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 analysis. Here's the one. And and I and I'll say this right now because it's opening day and I wanted to be here live for everybody right after the game. I'm not in on a press conference that I can see is going on right now with Bud Black, and I don't have the opportunity to ask him this question. And so, to some degree, it's a little bit unfair. And I promise you I will ask him this question tomorrow morning if it's not being asked right now, and I will listen to the audio if it has. But here's my question, because Portix comes in and he's right. I really thought we had a chance against LeCleric after the leadoff walk, he says, and I agree. So my question is this. McMahon does his job after the leadoff walk. Very good job. He had struck out three times on the evening and walked him to lead off the ninth. And now I get to bring in Patrick Lyons on this question. I absolutely love that he's jumped on with us here. And I'm going to ask this straight to you. Now, not just a totally rhetorical question. McMahon leads off the bottom of the ninth. Rockies have had a hard time making the offense happen. You got the leadoff run around. There's 30 guys on this roster. Why no Garrett Hampson to come in? Maybe try to steal a base. Maybe put some pressure on that pitcher. What's going on here? Yeah, just got off the call with with Bud Black. That that question was was not asked, but it, uh, that's obviously a very fair one. And I think with it with a one nothing ball game, you ha- you you have to be prepared that this thing could go extras. And the last thing you want is to not be prepared on opening day for a game that could go extremely long in what is ultimately a sprint. And you really shoot yourself in the foot in a major way. But you're right. They were really not able to gain a lot of traction against this Ranger pitching. Not a lot of hard hit balls, unfortunately. They did a great job against Lynn, but going late against that bullpen, which you know doesn't have a lot of swagger. Leclerc is is nice. He he had a uh, a down year in, in 2019, but as a 26 year old closer, you know has a lot of promise. So you finally saw Kemp there, right? You saw Kemp w- with two yeah. outs, maybe a little too little, too late. Not sure. The real, the real missed opportunity, if you will, was Trevor Story's at bat in the eighth. He hit a ball 396 feet, and Bud said yeah. that probably in the previous ballpark, Globe Life Park, as it was known in Arlington, and even going back beyond that, when in Bud's days of, of pitching in the majors in the early 80s, uh, and early 90s, that ball was gone. And so, yeah. we, we again, the Rockies hit a couple home runs in those exhibition games, but it really didn't feel like the ball was carrying quite like it, it had in the in, in the previous stadium and that the ball, and you said this, Drew, the ball's sounding great off the bat, and it's a routine fly ball in left field, you know, 300 feet on the nose. So it, it, it was uh, a really, really uh, unfortunate for the Rockies to not get anything beyond a few runners on second base. 
They had a base runner in seven of nine innings, too. Keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, they, they again, that that's kind of what I've been harping on this whole time, Patrick, is that the approach was not wrong. You know, they couldn't quite barrel it up. They, they, they couldn't quite get that big hit when they needed it to several times. Guys on base, um, you know, the lower half of the lineup, you're right. Hilliard with the four strikeouts, McMahon with the three strikeouts. Um, those are tough. And you, you expect these young guys to improve that an opening day, a big day might mean a little bit more to these younger sort of more amped up players. But I don't expect that kind of thing throughout them for the whole season. Both had actually fantastic defensive plays on the night as well. That should be pointed out. But bottom half of the lineup was was ugly. Yeah, Walters, although he was 0 for 3, yeah, he did have two hard-hit balls. He was the only one on the team, including Dahl, that actually even had had hard-hit balls. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, you have Tony Tony bulked up and, and, and looked good in those at-bat productive outs. There there were other productive outs. It was, uh, I believe it was in that uh, fourth inning where uh, Murphy and McMahon, you know, Murphy reached base on a walk, and then McMahon had about an eight or nine pitch at bat. So between those two of those guys, they really got Lynn's pitch count up high. And again, that's how they're going to win games, at least against this Ranger club, is getting into that bullpen. And Lance Lynn, although it was an opening day, was not you know was not shy about getting over a hundred pitches. He threw a hundred eight, only sixty four for strikes. So again, a lot of opportunities, and yet. You know, uh, Rockies just just couldn't couldn't pull through. They couldn't get any well timed hits. I mean, the Rangers didn't really do much either, but they were able to get two doubles. You know, not back to back, but relatively close together, and that was it. Two doubles game. Yeah, that's boy. That's the that's the brutal beauty of baseball, isn't it? It's, it, it's just kind of the the whole thing right there. Um, yeah, and, and, and Rockies Club came, coming in saying, although it didn't end up making a difference, that was a big diving catch from Hilliard with the two outs. And, yeah, like they, they had opportunities. And, again, I wonder, you know, why no bunt with Tapia up and the, the first guy on? And, again, I would have maybe looked at Hampson to come in and run. There's some, there's some chances there in the ninth. But, ultimately, yeah, you, you, you want to trust in your guys to – get some hits and they just couldn't come up with those hits against the Rangers bullpen. Like we thought maybe they could there, Patrick. I didn't like, by the way, you were talking about uh, some approach stuff there. The one at bat, I didn't like the approach Murphy swinging at the first pitch in the eighth inning, popped it up on the infield. That was rough after them driving up counts all game. They got a guy on Murph pops that one up. That's brutal. For sure, you know, and that's that was the one downside, I guess, uh, that we're seeing that if you stack the lineup with all of those lefties and you have nothing but right-handers on the bench, you can only use one of those righties if a lefty's in. Now, not literally, but if you have Tapia on the bench, you're going to go, well, why isn't he starting? Well, maybe because you need a yeah. lefty to, to in a moment like this, and if anyone's got, got that kind of ninth-inning walk-off juice swagger, Obviously, it's it's on the road in Texas, but still, we've seen Tapia do that before, coming off the bench cold like that. So, you know, you think maybe several times, yeah. 
maybe you, you say, well, we'll we'll take a step back, and and maybe the matchup isn't as good over the course of the the first six innings, and and kind of mix up the lineup a little bit more, have it more balanced. But by doing so, you now have the opportunity to deploy either a righty or a lefty off the bench. If you go all in on your lefties. You don't have that opportunity maybe when you need one most, and you just need something fresh up there at the plate. Yeah. Rockies club coming in saying Tapia looked completely distraught after that 2-1 bad call. And and here's something I want to say. Whether, whether you're with the bad calls or the not, or you're with me on the electronic strike zone or the not, here's the more important thing. I don't want Mac or Tap swinging at that pitch. And I think that's why Tapia looked so distraught. And and if you just had a camera on me here at the DNVR bar and seen my reaction to that call, it was way worse than Tapia's, I promise you. Because of this, the coaches have been telling him all offseason, all spring training, all summer camp, don't swing at that pitch. Find a, find a way to zone in. Focus on that smaller zone. Don't offer at that junk out of the zone, and he did. He had a great take there in the ninth inning on a 2-1 call, and it should have gone to 3-1, and it was called 2-2. And this is the difficult job of a manager and a hitting coach. In this moment, right, this is what's happening. Dave Magadan and, and, and Bud Black might be right now, as we're speaking to you, sitting down with Rymel and saying, good take. I know he called it a strike. Don't swing at that, please. We will never get mad at you for swinging at that. Yeah, there were a few of those calls by home plate umpire Jim Reynolds uh, on Friday night, especially second inning, Ryan McMahon, where he bends down very clearly a ball. He's taking his shin guard off, got rung up. And there there were a few of those where uh, Chirinos was was kind of getting those high strikes, especially on the outside, bringing him back. Yeah, he's doing his job, absolutely. But... As they looked really good at the plate from a standpoint that didn't see a lot of production. Yes, they didn't make the contact. Um, the swings looked good, but not great. But I really liked, again, going back to that Murphy McMahon back to back where they were just taking pitches um, because Lynn wasn't in and around the strike zone. And again, if he's only throwing, you know, just under 60% of pitches for strikes. And, and, and you're just not making that contact. Lynn could have gone seven, eight innings. In, in 2018 or 2019, this team wouldn't have taken as many pitches, and you could have had Lynn. The, the question goes, oh, does he have a complete game shutout on opening yep. day? Well, in this distance. case, yep. no. He was done after six, which is going to help you in game two and game three because now the bullpen has three less innings that they've got on their arm. So, again, maybe they don't win – um, this battle, but the Rockies win the war. And we will see that on Saturday and Sunday. They have to. If I'm Dave Magadan, I'm literally in that room right now saying, don't do anything different. I know. I know you scored zero right. runs, and I know David Dahl got 90% of the offense tonight. Don't, don't change your approach because this is how we succeed on the road. Lynn threw an inordinate number of three two pitches that were perfect. There's only so much you can do with that. This is the approach, right, Patrick? Like, they, they have to stay true to this. They can't abandon this. For sure. And they're going to have that opportunity with Mike Miner on the hill on Saturday. So they're going to have a little bit more of a, of a balanced lineup. 
same approach. And again, once they're able to tap into that Rangers bullpen, now you've got right-handed and left-handed bats. Because we're not going to see an entire shift change, much like you know we've seen in years past with the Dodgers after those top guys, right? You're still going to have Dahl, Story, Blackman, Arenado, and I still think you're going to see Murphy and McMahon. After that, you're going to see some changes, but you're going to have that balance right-left lineup, and you're going to have a lot of different opportunities to strike when the iron's hot. And again, as long as they keep that same approach, which is really exciting to think about you know, what that's going to look like over the course of a full season or even the 60-game sprint, it really could be a, a, a big game-changer. It just has to be the bats. The bats just have to make a lot more contact because they struck out way too often, 13 times. Was, was that the many. final number? Yeah, too many. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yep. Got to find a way to put the ball in play. And that's where Hamilton Joe is asking, thoughts on bunting to manufacture runs? Look, I'm in favor of it, Hamilton, but you still got to get that hit. Eventually, you've got to get that base hit to bring him in. Uh, unless the guy hits the leadoff double and you want to bunt him over, hit the ground ball to the right side to get him in. But, you know, like that leadoff walk in the ninth, I, I'm in favor of bunting him over. I'm in favor of bringing in Hampson, seeing if he can steal a base, have Tapia bunt bun him over to third. That's an interesting idea. But ultimately, they got to find a way to get that hit. Like, for the, for this game, we could run over that and we could hash it out, and Patrick and I could probably argue for 20 minutes because it'd be fun. But ultimately, for their season they got to get the hit in the ninth inning. They can't count on button guys over and getting the sack fly to tie it up. And they got to get get those hits early because in the third... That's right. In the third, uh, Dahl hit his double, Story walked, and you have runners on first and second with one out with Charlie Blackman up, with Nolan Arenado up. Couldn't get it done. Uh, right. uh, Blackman got caught looking. Chuck almost hit that ball out like he was a half yeah. tick early on one. That'd have been a two run shot, and that's the ball game the other way. Absolutely, and you know we someone had said something on Twitter about Herman Marquez about how last year you know th this at first it seemed like it, this was not going to line up like a typical you know Rockies game because Herman yep. Marquez is not giving up any of those early runs which the Rockies yep. had been prone to do in, in years years past that <laughs> didn't happen runs baby nope but but then before Almost you know it perfect through five one walk yeah through five innings yes yeah, sixth inning was that was that first hit but then you turn around and you get to the end game and you go oh that's right there is another way that the rockies can lose they pitch great bullpen digs out of a couple jams and they Defense just is good don't score the runs ah Forgot about well, that. Forgot about that kind of loss. They got to do that. No, and and you're 100 percent <laughs> right, Patrick. And that's why I want to end on this point here. At least this first half of the pod. And of course, if you're watching live, we're gonna wrap this one up here with the point from our guy March Arc Baker saying, "If you get starting pitching like that going forward, gonna be okay." And that's that that's 100 percent true. If Marquez comes out and throws like that, if the bullpen comes out and throws like that, if great. You know, if they match this, if Freeland, they're going to be fine. The Rockies are not going to lose a ton of one to nothing games this year. This was a tough one to take. Um, but the pitching, as we've said over the years, is always more important than the hitting. They pitch like this. They're going to hang in there. John Gray on Saturday is going to go seven innings and 
you know what? I'm not going to hedge my bet and say that he's going to give up a run. He's not going to give up any runs. He's going to put up a goose egg over seven innings. There it is. I just love him coming in, not opening day, doesn't have that pressure, but gets to do that. Anything you can do, I can do better. John Gray loves doing that. He loves snapping a losing streak. And we've said it a million times, this this preseason, this summer camp, one loss is worth three losses. So here, John Gray coming in, he's going to snap this one to three game skid. <laughs> Seven innings, shutout ball coming up on Saturday. Absolutely love it. So again, if you're following us here on the live, make sure that you're checking us out in the future. We appreciate it. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube. If you're listening to the podcast, we really appreciate you doing that. Make sure you're subscribed to the DNVR in the meantime, we'll be back after a short break. If you're, again, listening to the podcast with a few more bits of analysis and thoughts on some of the new, some of the expanded playoff stuff that's been coming up lately. If you're just checking out the live after the game, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure that you join us again for more live analysis, at least after John Gray's performance. I think that's when it'll be. I'll be down here maybe at the DNVR bar again. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us, and we will see you on the other side. All right, Patrick, it is time to wax poetic about all of our favorite opening day experiences. It is time to talk about what it is that the Colorado Rockies can do and accomplish now that baseball is back and real. It is time to do some extraordinarily fun things. But first, we do have to do a little bit of housekeeping for everybody. We appreciate you joining us, of course, if you're here on the live we got to talk about some news that we have not yet had an opportunity to discuss between you and I. Of course, anyone who follows us on all the social media and is subscribed to the DNVR.com, well, you're not coming late to this conversation. You've already heard us break down all of this. But just quickly for everyone, there have been a couple of things that have come out. Uh, the Rockies announcing their final roster. It did turn out that Scott Oberg was not healthy enough to make that final roster. So you're going to get Ashton Goodow. Uh, maybe making his major league debut, certainly being on an opening day roster for the first time, skipping right over AAA. Uh, the only other real bit of news in terms of roster stuff, I think, was the Colorado Rockies deciding to carry three catchers, uh, taking Butera and Elias Diaz along with Tony Walters, and deciding not to take Brendan Rodgers on either the main squad or the taxi squad, sending him to that satellite team out there in Metro uh, your response. Uh, I know we're, we're getting in a little bit later, but still to the final Rockies roster here. Yeah, Godot's interesting because he's making his first opening day. In fact, he's making his first ever, uh, you know, uh, call up to the to the big club uh, at age 28 and we saw dj johnson do that last year at age 29 i think he was only the ninth player age 29 or older to make uh the opening day roster at at that age or, or older danny ardois i think might have been been the oldest at 31 something like that so it's it's pretty rare that you're going to see an older guy make his first opening day team like that and as you said you know, didn't even, you know, show up in, in AAA yet, but he's ready to go. He was originally on my taxi squad because, again, he's one of those long reliever types, and we know that we that either Chichi Gonzalez or Jeff Hoffman's going to be that long reliever guy. You might need two. 
you might need two. And I think that's that's where Godot's spot uh, is going to be really safe. Uh, as far as Brendan Rodgers is concerned, you know, he uh, has 136 days of service time, which you're going to go, well, that, that, that seems like a lot for a guy who only played 20, 20 or so games. Well, when he went on the 60-day the IL last year, he got major league service time for that. So I don't know if it's, you know, I'm not going to say contract manipulation, but it's or service time manipulation, but it is something that teams do. So it could be a way to um, allow the Rockies to get back another year of service time so that Brennan Rogers doesn't become a free agent in his prime at age 28. They can keep him around for another year. So there could be a little bit like that. He also just might not be ready. <laughs> Yeah, there's also the point whether it's he's not ready because he may have needed a little bit more season anyway, or he's not ready because he only played a handful of games last year before sustaining a very serious injury and has not faced live true competition except for, what, two, three games at spring training 1.0 before the lockdown came and, and totally wiped out all of that positive momentum he had going really no way to get it back at a summer camp in just a couple of weeks against your own teammates. I do think it's better for him to be out there playing satellite ball, real simulated games as opposed to being on the taxi squad, which is just going to have to basically do drills and practice to stay fresh out there. I don't think that's a good place for him. Uh, he was going to be behind these other guys anyway. It's a little bit rough and maybe not the direction that I would have gone with, but a 100% justifiable move, uh, in my opinion, especially with the way Butera has been hitting. And as you've talked about before, he's a value to the organization in a lot of ways. And just totally getting rid of that guy when he does bring something. And he's showing you a little bit with the offense when you're not 100% sure Rodgers is ready. Justify that's right, and and obviously Rodgers has way more of an upside than anybody on the bench. You might even make the case for a couple starters in, ten, in uh, Friday night's opening day lineup. But right now, if you look at that, that starting lineup, there are six players that are going to be riding the bench tonight for Colorado. They're all right-handed hitters, and when you think about a big spot, for, for a pinch hit opportunity, you know, um, once Lance Lynn comes out of the game and you've got some lefties and you say, I don't know how, if I like, you know, Sam Hilliard's odds against this lefty, are you really going to Brendan Rodgers first and foremost? Or are you going with a Matt Kemp, a veteran guy like Chris Owings, Elias Diaz, or the hot-hitting Drew Butera? Well, if you're not going with Brendan Rodgers, then it's just better for him to just get that practice time at MSU and ultimately not move along his, his service time and increase the likelihood that he becomes a free agent sooner than later. Yeah. The only other bit of news that's really big enough that we wanted to make sure that we didn't miss it, that we haven't had an opportunity to discuss on the podcast yet is, of course, the expansion, the very last wow. minute expansion of the MLB postseason. Uh, I don't have the details in front of me right this second, Patrick, but I think everyone gets into the playoffs now. If I read that correctly, <laughs> everyone gets yes. into the postseason this year, which is pretty, pretty dope. No, 16 teams. Did I, did I read that correctly? In each that league, too, which is weird because there's only 30 <laughs> baseball teams, but apparently I think two AAA or indie leagues. Not right. sure what Manfred was going on about. No, yeah, it'll be eight teams ASU might league. show up. You don't know. You don't know. Um, so in a sense, they're, they're saying, hey, we're still going to have two wildcard teams for the seventh and eighth seed, and then 
winning, you know, getting second place in your division is kind of like winning the division. It gives you a guaranteed spot. So right. even if the Rockies go 30 and 30, as long as they are the second best team in the NL West, they are in. So you yep. could have someone who is the ninth best team maybe have a better record. I mean, it, it seems relatively unlikely if, if you move it around. But I, I kind of like that idea where, you know, normally you say, hey, all the National League teams kind of play the same teams. Yeah, they play within their division, but then they play each other, you know, throughout the league. And yes, their interleague games are different. But right now it is just West versus West. And it's like if, if, if you want to create those extra playoff spots, you do it already for first place in the division, even though there are some wildcard teams that win more games than the division winners. So fine, just say first and second place. Now that, that gives fair representation among all the divisions. And then we've got two more additional wildcard games. It'll be a best of three series. Uh, I don't know all the details uh, with that, but I, I do know that the, div the division winners, I think, are going to stay home. It might even be just the higher seed. So you could have the top, you know the 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 division winners, and then whatever team has the best record that wasn't a divi a division winner, so the fourth best team, they're going to be home for a three game series, so they'll have that home field advantage, so that the teams don't have to travel back and forth. Right. That being said, you could still have a number eight defeat a number one. That's very oh, possible yeah. in a three game series. The Rockies could knock out Atlanta or even the Dodgers. In sure. L.A. or in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, they again, this is one of the things we've been doing, right, going back and looking at these sample sizes. You can go back and cherry pick from even their worst years, times yeah. where the Rockies won a three-game set against anybody as good as they may be. Yeah, so that, it's absolutely on the table. It's really fascinating to me, uh, Patrick. I, I, I think this is a good way to go. Honestly, I do. I think it's going to cut down a little bit on anyone who's going to feel like, especially teams that like get off to a rough start and are really hot at the end of the season, but don't have quite enough time to make up for it under those, the, the old traditional postseason format. Now that there's extra space for those teams to get in, I feel like everyone who feels like their team has postseason talent is going to feel like they got in, which brings me to this point. Before this decision was made, I would have told you I think the Rockies make the postseason, but it's not necessarily a disappointment if they don't. Now, it very, very much is a disappointment if they don't make the postseason. They're good. They're, they, they're good enough. They should be there. They better make this happen now. And say what you will about uh, the Padres or the Diamondbacks. And I have. But <laughs> but, but those organizations are going to feel the exact same way too, right? right. If you're a team right. that's just out of it, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Miami, those are the only three teams in the National League that are going to go, hey, if we make the playoffs, cool. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Those other 12 remaining teams are going to say, we've got a shot. So there, you're right. It, it's it's it increases the likelihood of them making the playoffs and almost the expectations. It also does a couple things. One in which it makes the, you know, the trade deadline on August 31st, you know, not only all that much more important, but that less likely that we're going to see a <laughs> yeah. really big trade because yeah. everyone's in it. It's just going to be, you know, calling up uh, Farhan Zaidi of the Giants and going, look. 
there's six <laughs> teams that stink and are trying to get rid of guys. Everyone's and, hey, calling up Farhan. <laughs> yeah, right. If, if you if you if you need another uh, a, a bat in, in your lineup, you, you, all right. Hey, Brandon Belt, Brandon, Brandon Crawford. You know, take some of those veteran guys. You know, to to stash on your bench, whatever it is, if you're willing to pay those contracts going forward. The other thing that it does is it turns MLB postseason just for this year. And I don't know that we're going to really see it going forward, but it turns the postseason into a tournament. Tournament. And yeah. not just any tournament, the NCAA March Madness. No, we're talking it October is going to be, Madness, baby. That's right. It's going to be crazy because, like you yes. said, you just got to get in and you could see anything happening. If you're, if you're the seventh or eighth best, if you're the eighth best team, obviously, you know, you're not that great. You're good. But you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Even if you're seventh, even if you're sixth, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Well, now those teams get in, and they can be a real Cinderella. It's like a small school somewhere winning their tournament. They've got a, a 16 and 15 record, and you see them, you know, ranked as like a 15 seed. Those George 15 Mason. seeds, yes, like a George Mason of Virginia Commonwealth University from Let's several go. years ago. Bucknell, they always they've got the how, uh, the predilection to, you, to win sir. those games. You better hope my mother isn't listening to this. Bucknell, she went to Bucknell too. I thought she went oh, only she, to Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that's who they. That's oh, who they that's beat. right. That's that's. that's thank that's, you. That Ooh. was their number Sorry, one. Sorry, Barbara. They, they were the Dodgers Sorry, that year, and they got Bucknelled. I picked I Bucknell in that like game, that. actually. Did you? Really? I actually did. Yes, oh. they they had a couple upsets that year. But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter what happens in that matchup. You're going to have momentum if you win the if you win eight of the last ten games of the season and you finish 500. You go, cool. Look at that. Hey, this team might be good next year. Wait a minute. You can go eight uh, and two in your final ten games of the season this year. Sneak in with a 500 winning percentage at 30 and 30, and go on a run and win the World Series with an average regular season team because you got hot at the right time. We will never see that again in Major League Baseball. Frankly, we shouldn't. You know, I'm I'm not for that. I I, I don't really want to see a, a 500 not team in general, no. get in the playoffs. But that no. makes the playoffs incredibly exciting this yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, we don't have the, the time and space, you know, because you're, you're totally right. The whole thing is you need more time and space to figure out who the best baseball teams are. That's why the game is built the way it is. We don't even have that option this year, though. So you might as well. Right. We're, we're not going to have the time and space. We got to wrap this thing up by the end of October. If it's going to be this intense, let's go all out. Let's make it that much more intense. Let's just get back to normalcy after that. Right. Uh, Rock, so Chalk, Jayhawk. Rocktober. <laughs> These things, they've got, there's something going on there. I see you working back. No, I saw you working back into the good graces. That's good stuff. <laughs> All right. So one of the other things that we wanted to do here as we look forward to the rest of the Colorado Rockies season, Patrick, is force ourself, ourselves, our collective selves. I, ref I, I did the tweet today where I referred to us as we. I just, you know. We're, we're a collective at this point. <laughs> you, what, me, what our love. Point? It's all good, baby. It's, it's all there. Uh, but we got to play one of our favorite new games, game we like to call Start, Bench, Cut. This is the harsh game of reality. This is what managers have to go through, though usually not quite this contrived. Still, this is 
the difficulty of saying, you know, having really strong baseball opinions. Let's see where they stand. Who are you going to start? Who are you going to bench? And who are you going to cut for your Colorado Rocks this season with these collection of names? And, and really, we're not talking about who. We're talking about what. What is yeah. most likely to happen out of these three and what is least likely to happen? Do we have an Arenado MVP? Do we have a John Gray Cy Young Award? Or Herman Marquez Cy Young Award? Or maybe, Drew, maybe, maybe you think there should be a, a different third one. What, what, what are the top three likelihoods? Is it Trevor Story MVP and not Gray Cy Young Award? That's where it becomes hard. I think that could be a little more likely. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. I think the story, um, I think you've got to, with these three, I think you've got to start the Arenado MVP. Um, I think that's the most likely of the three for sure. While I am big on Marquez this year, that you've always got to deal with that national voting audience and Colorado Rockies pitching. And so. As much and and no one's been a bigger believer in John Gray than me. Look, man, no one's been a bigger believer, and I'd like to believe that he's proven me right more often than not. But I I I think the betting the the wise bet, though I do see in Gray the wheels turning and the opportunity for him to come out with that great season. Unfortunately, I, I got to cut I got to cut that Cy Young chance out of there. I. I think the national audience, too, has made up their minds a little bit on Gray. I think they see him a little bit as a bust already, which is sad and not true. It's also challenging, too, when you pitch at Coors Field. If you've got a 3-5 ERA or even a 3 ERA at Coors Field, it's, that's amazing. But that's going to damage your overall ERA, and all it takes is anybody else in their 12 starts to be that much more dominant and if you have a one five two ERA, you go. Wait a minute, this guy, John Gray, man, he's he's the lead, he's the ace of that staff in Colorado with his two point seven five ERA on the season. Yeah, but look at Jacob Degrom; he's got a two point oh oh. It's it's part of his legacy. It's it's going on his his Hall of Fame plaque. All of those things. You err on the side of the legend. You go, hey, John Gray, that's great. You're gonna get votes. We're gonna put you in at second place uh, in in Cy Young Award voting, but. Do it next year, and now now you can be in that group. So you're right. I right. think that's the one that you would have to cut. And for me, I think Trevor Story as the MVP could be the choice to go to. Again, Arenado is that known commodity and is the guy that maybe, not that you overlook, but you go, yeah, of course. He's going to put up these type of numbers, but Trevor Story is going to do it with a little more flash and pizzazz, right? He, he, yeah. He's got some of the same flash defensively as Arenado, but at the plate, he almost has even more. You know, with the three-home run game that we saw in 2018, going yeah. down to one knee, a smaller guy who also has speed, Arenado himself has said, man, his story's got more run. raw power than I do. Yes. That's, yeah, that's 100%. Yeah, yeah both of that. He's about better, better raw power, better raw speed. And I think, again, those up-the-middle players are key for, for so many voters in, in the BBWAA, and I think he, he can just become that next darling. And, and all it takes is, is a similar season, maybe a notch above Nolan Arenado, uh, which is, is not as any, any stretch of the imagination you know, very feasible to happen. I, I'm going to I'm start story and bench Arenado as the MVP this year. 
I yeah, I think that's a great call. I, I and I, and I could the irony of it the the <laughs> I, the idea that Trevor could win an MVP before Nolan after everything wow. that Nolan Arenado has done in the game of baseball, but there would it would be such a Rockies thing too to like <laughs> this this guy who's going to maybe go down in the history of the game as the best third baseman to ever play. Well, actually, probably like. Really, the actuary tables suggest like that's where his career will end as the best third baseman who ever played the game, and he won't have a single MVP. Like it's going to be tougher to get one from here on out too, because he's going to be on the other side of thirty after this year as well. But I'm with you. I think voters like the shiny new toy. Voters like that extra statistical column if Trevor Story steals twenty. Well, not 20 bases, but you know what I mean, what he would have done. If he right. was on a 20 stolen base pace, if he's, you know, that kind of the equivalent of type of guy, um, it's going to be crazy, man. It's I, I really I could see him snatching it. The one thing I, I just I see Nolan having a monster season. I just see him going out there and doing yeah. stupid stuff. I think if you had to take a bet and DraftKings bet on. Four guys, five guys in Major League Baseball who will do something stupid like hit over 400 for the year or 20 home runs plus or whatever, position players. Nolan's on that short list. It's Nolan Trout, Bellinger. Maybe Altuve. Maybe Altuve, maybe even Mookie Betts as much as I hate to say it. but those Maybe Altuve. (laughs) All right, so for our next start bench cut, who has higher war this year? Ryan McMahon. Daniel Murphy or Kyle Freeland. Now I took David Dahl out of there just because we we think okay, hey, he's the All Star, he's done it, he's he's we're going to keep him out of that group because he would be the obvious one. So we got Ryan McMahon, Daniel Murphy, and Kyle Freeland start bench cut. Which one most likely to happen? Which one's least likely? And we got one in the middle that we're just going to bench. This is tough, you because you know, you know. I think all three of these guys are going to have good years. Yes. Um, pitcher war is not especially friendly to what Freeland does, and I don't see him having the two eighty RA. I see him having the three seven three eighty RA, and with very few strike, not very few strikeouts. I think he'll get a, a little bit more than he had. Uh, certainly than than last year, but he's never going to be the the nine ten strikeouts a game guy. Therefore, sadly, I got to cut the idea of Freeland having the best WAR here. I think I think he's the lowest on the list, though. I think a solid one point five and up WAR campaign is is very much in the books for Freeland, and you take that. Um, Murphy, I, I feel similarly about bounce back. Yes, good numbers. Yes. Uh, he's not going to get anything for his defense. Um, I don't know that he's going to have the kind of power he used to. I think he'll on base and he'll hit better and he'll get some pop, but I don't think he's the home run guy he once was. Ryan McMahon, I think, has a monster season. I, I think he's fantastic defensively. I think he's fantastic offensively. I think he hits a couple of balls that make people go, holy sh-. So... I, I, McMahon, I'm going hardest in on Ryan McMahon here. You're right. Yes, that is the start, Ryan McMahon. And I tell you what, those home runs that he hit, he might even might even hit a couple of the left center field that make you go. He almost hit on the concourse opposite way. 
Yeah. We saw that in batting practice throughout summer camp. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. He's the start. He'll have the highest war. And I actually think Kyle Freeland is is the better bet to, to bench, and, and I would cut Daniel Murphy because, frankly, Daniel Murphy plays the, the harder position at first base where guys, whew, shoot, if you're not hitting 15 home runs in a 60-game season as a first baseman, well, then you just lost all of your value, right? Yep. We, we've, we've seen that happen to other guys as good as Justin Morneau, um, you know, was for a, a season and a half. You look at his war and you go, well, that, that's good, but it's not like, you know, elite because, again, it's as a first baseman, you know, you, you can't do much. His teammate in, in Minnesota, when Joe Mara moved over to first base, you go, wow, he's a pedestrian first baseman by the first baseman standard of an American League first baseman. Can you say first baseman any more times? I was going to say, get it, okay. in, get it in there a few more times in there. No, no, no. First bagger. Um, <laughs> I forget. Uh, no, all, the the other, lukewarm corner. all the other positions have uh, extra fun nicknames. nicknames. That's right. Yeah. The lukewarm corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Freeland, I think, again, like you said, he's going to bounce back. Uh, so I, I, I think there's just enough to go around that, you know, even even with just a, a simple 2.8 uh, up to 3.5 war could be good enough to be the second highest in that group. But, yeah, Ryan McMahon, he is the guy in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm all in. Final start bench cut is again we're gonna we're gonna look at war and we're gonna take Wade Davis and and leave it up to you or leave it up to anyone in the comments section. Who who else do you think might be on par with a Wade Davis as far as war? What is there anyone that you think is going to be out, out of out of the you know, you get rid of the top two rungs? I'll go with even the other two guys who are the the setup guys mm. right now. All three of those guys. I'm putting Oberg out of the conversation. Give me Davis, Estevez, and Diaz. Mm. And I'll do this for you. I'm going to start Wade Davis. I think Davis is having a nice season. I think Carlos Estevez is right there after him. Got him on the bench. Love Iro Diaz. Don't think he's going to have a bad year at all. I don't think he's going to need to be in the same kind of role he was. I see these other guys getting on a, a better run. I think he'll be fine, but I'm putting my stock in these other two guys. Believe it or not, yes, I said it. Wade Davis at the top, I there's something there. I don't think he's done. I think he's, he's the most talented of all of them. That's, that's just the truth. Whether truth. he can tap back into that talent at age 34 after such a rough season is the only question. I think he can. I think he does. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. He he's definitely would be my start um, because, he's again, he's as you said, he's proven it. He's got that track record, you know, he's done in the playoffs. And, you know, last year's is, is more of an aberration than anything. And then you say, all right, Carlos Estevez, Jairo Diaz, which one of those guys doesn't do it? You're like, you got to cut one of those guys? Come on. They're they're two of the most you know young and exciting relievers that they've had uh, since Scott Oberg came up ultimately, and yeah. since Adam Ottavino you know figured it out again in, in 2018. But uh, I would probably just bench Carlos Estevez because I think he's the real deal, and he's a guy that when he came up in in 2016 as as a rookie and was the closer wasn't entire, entirely ready for it yet, but what he did as a rookie is 
is is pretty impressive, and you saw what he did last year uh, after coming back for some injuries in, in 2018 and just look amazing. He's got that, that heater. He's a big dude, big body, great mental disposition, and yeah. he's going to be the closer, you know, I, I think in, in, in two years' time, you know, whether he shares the role with, with Scott Oberg or even if he's just fine as a setup man. you got a setup man, or you rather you got a closer in the eighth inning, hey, that's great. But I, I'm, I'm going to start Wade Davis, and I'll bench Carlos Estevez and Jairo Diaz. I'm going to try to figure out a way to get him on my roster still. Yeah, I know, right? Can we can we pass him through waivers and get him back through some stuff? Yeah, absolutely. That was a, yeah, it was a tough one. That was a tough one. Everybody at home, by the way, is going, "Hey, what now?" Uh, everybody, everybody at home, is saying, um, "I'm starting to step as keeping Diaz and get rid of Davis." And I understand why they're saying. That. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, cool. Well, I think that's going to uh, wrap this one up for us. If you're watching live, that means we're getting ready to watch the first game of the Colorado Rockies season. If you're listening to this later, we've already given you our thoughts and analysis on that on the podcast. And you are preparing yourself to watch John Gray, the Wolf of Blake Street, take his talents out there on the road to see if he can follow up whatever it is that Marquez has done. Uh, One way you can make sure that you're not behind anything that we're doing here at DNVR is, of course, to give us a subscribe. We pumped out, I think, 10 pieces of content in the last three, four days. Uh, it's been a whole lot of fun running through all these aspects of the team, waxing poetic about baseball, talking about best-case scenarios and worst-case scenarios, making bold predictions, all of that stuff you can find there. Um, Patrick, it's been... I've, I've got blisters on my fingers. Like That's <laughs> how much work we've been putting in, and I know you don't because you're just you got those calloused digits you know from all your 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 days of the tweedling on the guitar the guitar gives you those those calluses but man it's (laughs) it's been a hell of an off season in uh more ways than one (laughs) you can interpret that and uh we we've made it made it through it all together man nobody else i'd rather have by my side during all of this and uh during the days to come in this upcoming crazy season that we're about to witness so are you about to do the make a proposal that's here? right is, that's right let's see how drop to one goes. knee we'll let's see, see how, how it goes all right see, let's see how the season goes let's we're see how kind the of pre-engaged right. yeah yeah and that's again right. if, if, if for those of you watching live we're going to come back after the game to give you a, a little post-game wrap-up and uh, expect that pretty much uh for the entirety of the season and the post-season question right. mark that's right so make sure you're subscribed to everything, the YouTube channel, the DNVR, the, all the social media stuff. You get yourself some cool merch so you're not showing up to one of our watch parties without cool Rockies merch on or at least DNVR gear that you're continuing to remain absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to remain absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.